This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to cutting through all the confusing marketing BS so you can actually understand how to take action and change your business today. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about strategies for transforming your employees into brand ambassadors for your business. So your employees can be your most effective word of mouth marketers, but only if they have a clear and compelling story to tell. So too often, businesses don't spend enough time in clearly defining, formalizing, and then consistently using their brand, which makes the resulting stories really fragmented. So internally, it can compromise talent acquisition, retention, overall job satisfaction, even promotion of the business. Externally, it could compromise sales lead generation, conversion and sales, and so on and so forth. So in this episode, we're going to talk about how you're going to mobilize your workforce behind the power of your brand. Yeah, and before we jump in and get started, just a little bit of context for clarity. So if you have multiple product or service offerings under your business, you can choose to hear this episode through the lens of your parent brand or business, or individual brands underneath it. So what we mean by that, for example, is Nike is a company and a brand, right? But the Jordan brand is a product brand that sits below it. So if you think about it just through one of your offerings, this will help simplify what we're talking about and make it more clear in your head. Uh, We just know that there's lots of businesses, right? Like med spas, startups, restaurants, B2B services, where there's all kinds of sub-brands underneath the main brand. We just recommend choosing a lens, sticking with it, and then you can go back as many times as you need to and think about it through those different lenses. Yeah, absolutely. And to help us dive into this, we want to introduce our guest, whose company provides strategies and tools to help you mobilize your workforce behind the power of your brand. And that's Chris Wallace, co-founder and president and interview group. Hey, Chris. Hello. How are you today? Great. How are you? Good. Good. April Ann, it's great to be with you. Thanks for the chance to be on the show. Of course. Yeah, we're happy to have you and your expertise. Your clarification was an excellent one, by the way. I'm so glad you did that because it's a great, um, everybody looks at this through a little bit different lens. So giving people those instructions to really think about what it is that they're focused on in their business will help them get more out of it. So great clarification. Yeah. And hopefully you'll be able to provide tons of examples about how to do just that. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. All right, so let's jump into the four strategies for transforming your employees into brand ambassadors. The first one is to formulate your brand story in terms of mission, vision, values, and personality. And we actually just did an episode a few weeks ago called The Four Steps to Building a Company Mission That Leads to Business Success. And this went into a ton of depth on mission, vision, values, and personality, as well as how this translates to culture. So if you're not really clear on these for your business, this is a really good episode to go back to in order to get these to be really clear, Um, because this is going to be the basis for how you're going to articulate your brand story. But because this episode, we're really going to talk about how do you indoctrinate your brand story. So like I said, if you haven't really done that step, you need to probably go back and do that and then come back to this episode. But if you have done that and you're ready to rock and roll, we're going to continue to rock and roll with you here. So whether or not your business is two people or two million, it's super critical that everyone across the ranks knows, internalizes, and can articulate your brand story because this foundation needs to be strong in order for you to be able to generate the impact you want. And this happens in three parts. First, you need to communicate the brand story. This seems like a really like simple thing to say, but it's something that people actually don't 
do and don't do mm-hmm. in a very consistent way. They tend to make it really functional in nature instead of really doing the hard work to decide what they stand for at that human emotional level. Exactly. And that's why you need to go back and listen to that uh, four steps to building a company mission, because that's going to really help you think through how exactly you do that so that it is emotionally engaging and not just a transactional functional way that you're talking about your business. And then once you have that, depending on your size, you can communicate this in many different ways. This could be an in-person meeting. It could be a more formalized training, but it needs to be more than an email. Okay, guys, it needs to be more than an email because your mission, vision, values, and personality always need explanation because they're coming from some sort of context, some sort of inspiration. And it's really important that everybody really understands that and feels that right along with you. Then you're going to create a plan that includes many different assets to introduce this brand story and keep the momentum going. This can include videos, trainings, events, decor, gifts, all exemplify and reinforce the brand story, and they all help your employee to see and and frequently be reminded of what the brand story is on a day-to-day basis. You're going to want to continue to actually execute those on an ongoing basis, too, so you're continuing to keep it top of mind for them. Yeah, this is the whole tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then keep on telling them. That's exactly what we mean here. You really can't share it enough or often enough, especially in the early days, to really get it to become something that people think about almost subconsciously. Yeah, and surround them with it for sure. Yep. And then the third and probably the most important is you need to live the brand story. And this is the part where a lot of what we just talked about falls apart. And I'll give a story and I'm probably... telling them a story that a lot of people can tell. Um, you know, at P&G, you know, we used to do these big events and, and, and try to rally employees behind a new vision or kind of a reframe vision. But then like the next day, it was like business is normal. Um, <laughs> it, it was like we didn't even have the event. It was like, what, what happened here? We just spent this whole day getting all jazz. And then 24 hours later, our leadership isn't even walking to talk. And if that's going to happen, you're going to lose momentum very, very quickly. Your, your employees are not going to believe in what you're trying to do because they're not going to be seeing you actually do it. So you need to be able to hold yourself accountable for the fact that you are the leader of the brand story. And Chris, I know you have a bunch of examples and a bunch of ways that you help businesses do that. Can you share some, please? Yeah. First of all, everything you've said so far, I would, I would, you know, definitely say is is spot on. I think that uh, when you when you talk about you know, walking the talk is a great way to think about this. Making sure that what you're doing in a day in day out basis is aligned to the brand. Um, you know, in terms of examples, I can share a number of examples, but I'm going to share kind of one, uh, I guess, insight that we've we've discovered along the way. And that's this idea that when you when you identify what the brand needs to be. Everybody plays a different role in representing that brand. Mm-hmm. Yep. Too many times organizations create a brand book and it's on everybody's desk and it's the same version for everyone. Well, you know, we work in a lot of uh, you know business to consumer companies, and the people that that work directly with a customer might be a salesperson on the phone. It might be somebody in a retail store. It might be a technician that goes into their home. Yeah, there's a lot of different touch points. What a technician does to represent the brand is different than what a salesperson does is different from, you know, somebody else in customer service that might interact with them. So um, having that story be something that is just broad and, and not, you know, painted through the, the lens of each individual, you know, customer contact point um, is, is, is a big mistake. So um, in addition to not sending an email, I would strongly caution people, don't just do a brand book 
and push it out, right? Don't just, don't just hand somebody a spiral bound thing that says, here's our mission, vision, values. That foundation is so critical. It really is important to, to guiding your business, but it has to come to life in different ways. You want your customers to have a great experience with you. Well, make sure that your brand delivers a great experience through the employee. That way, delivering on that message and delivering on that promise becomes natural. It doesn't become forced. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole, that's the essence, right, that we're talking about here is your people are your most valuable asset. And I think what you're saying is so spot on and, you know, I'm nodding along. You can't see me. But as you're saying all these things about what happens when people just write these things and then they essentially get stuck in a drawer or sitting on the desk or whatever, if your people can't see themselves and then live through that brand story, then it's just not it's not the right brand story. Yeah, it, it, I'm going to give you one example. I, I, there's, a, there's a company that we're talking to right now, not doing work with yet, but sort of um, initial stages of advising them. And they are a disruptive brand in a traditional industry. And they have a vision for how they are distinctly different from the other, the other brands that they would be competing against or that they are competing against. And really, our whole angle with them is to really help, is to really build a moat around their brand. They are saying, this is who we want to be to the customer. And there's a very different value proposition than anybody else in our industry. And our message to them is, if you want to defend that message, if you want to defend that brand position, all the people who represent you, in this case, it would be uh, dealers or, or a, a retail channel that they would go to market through. They need to get this army of, of, of supporters and frontline representatives, even though they're not employees of the company, they are representatives of the brand. They need to mobilize that army to defend that story. Otherwise, it's just words on a web on a web page. Yep. If it does not translate into the experience the customer has when they show up, it's just hollow words. And we know in this day and age that hollow words and brands, it, you're not going to last long. Are there specific ways that you suggest people execute in order to be able to do, do that for the individual parts of their organizations? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we call it a translation process. I mean, essentially what we're doing is we're taking a look at, you know, what the attrib attributes of the brand are. And then we are, we are basically translating, okay, how do those attributes live in each one of these interactions? So again, if you're a technician going into the home, if you're a customer service representative, really how, does, how do those different aspects or pillars or elements of the brand, how do they come to life and behavior? So we are truly taking the words that surround the brand and equating them to behaviors that align with those words for each one of those interactions. Um, deploying it ends up looking a lot like what you, you know, what you shared in terms of the different tactics and stuff like that. We really like to push the envelope when it comes to those tactics and we can talk more about that. But um, we look at it as how do you take the words that surround the brand and that make up that brand message and translate it into actions for each role. Yeah, let's definitely talk about that when we get to some of the end of trenches questions, because I think that's going to have some very direct relation to some of the questions that we get a lot. So, yes, let's definitely talk to the tactics um, in a little bit. But I think what you said really is a great segue to the second point here, um, which is identify where the breakdowns and the brand story are happening and address them. So I think you just really brilliantly articulated the, the, the structure of what is needing to be done in order to facilitate a brand story and making sure it's cohesive. But we all know that you know in, in trying to translate it from one side to the end and ultimately in all these different places, 
there can be breakdowns. And the further you remove from the execution, the more likely that those breakdowns are going to happen. I mean, I can recall when I was working at P&G and I was working in R&D, and even though I was like literally less than 20 minutes from the general offices in the same city, I felt like I was in Siberia. I mean, (laughs) I felt like everything I was doing, like the next day was basically irrelevant or the story that I was trying to create was not translated appropriately, even if I was like, there. <laughs> so I can't even imagine, you know, what it's like for you know, people who are factory workers and they're in plants across the country or sales reps who don't even have a home base or an employee who does all their work remotely, you know, so you have to really consider that, the, that, that these people are part of your organization and they need to be communicated in a consistent way so that the brand story comes to life for them as well. Because you can't achieve scale if your power of your brand is diluted and your story is fragmented. And it doesn't mean, as you had mentioned already, Chris, that people can't put you know their own personal spin. And actually, you mentioned this too, April. Like People can put their own personal spin on it based on what their position is and their contribution is. But the whole brand story in its essence should be very consistent because that helps it to build scale. So for example, and I'm probably going to talk a lot about P&G, but you know, this is kind of like the core of what, well, a lot of what we did when I was at P&G. Um, it, you know, for ex- another P&G example um, is that everybody from the plants through the general offices, you know, through, I mean, it didn't matter who, they could all articulate the mission of P&G, which is to improve lives of, of more consumers, right? That was the mission. Everybody knew it. Some of the CEOs try to like wrap more additional words around it, but really at the crux, that was what it was. And so everybody knew that was a lens for which all their work was supposed to be basically decided um, and then guided through and then evaluated, frankly. But it was also the lens by which everybody kind of assessed the pride in their work and, and what they accomplished. So when they saw a product on the shelf, it wasn't just like, hey, I did that. It was like, hey, See with this, now this is what it does. It makes people's lives better. It it makes them feel better about themselves. It helps their clothes like become more refreshed. I mean, it was like you were able to articulate a benefit that was emotionally connected that allowed them to have pride that was connected to that mission. And when you do that, and you would do that across the board, the reputation of not just the brand, but also the company rises. And that is what brings life to your your company. That's what brings that brand story into the next dimension and allows it to live in, in a totally different atmosphere, if you will. So, I mean, Chris, I know you've helped a lot of businesses really try to figure out where these breakdowns happen. And I know you have tools in which to do that. Can you share some of that with us? Yeah, sure. Um, everything you just said um, it not only resonates, but I think it, it ties back to when you shared at the beginning the, the example of the Jordan brand versus versus Nike. Yeah. You know, everybody within a company has their own. Let's be honest. Everybody's got their own uh, little uh, corner of the company that they're trying to uh, make successful, right? And it, it could be a product, it could be a brand, it could be a new service that you're launching, and everybody wants to you know see that be successful. It becomes your baby, right? And you know, one of the things that we we've done when we started interview, um, we looked at it and said we know how to engage frontline teams, but organizations, um, you know, can come up with all sorts of different ideas. What we want to do is be able to make their their work much more efficient. Really, be able to pinpoint how to move, you know, how to, how to drive the right action, so to speak. And what's so critical here is a lot of organizations create a lot of content around do this, say that. Here's what the right message is. And they put, there's a lot of push. They push out a lot of information, but 
taking the time to stop and assess what the starting point is, right? Where, where you're trying to move people from and where you're trying to get them to. Most organizations are so focused on where they're trying to get the folks to arrive as opposed to what the starting point is. We built a tool called the brand transfer study, which essentially is, is assessing if you, um, if you see this beautiful you know, painting in front of you, um, we can assess what your view of it is. And then you know, think of that as your product. You assess what you believe your product is or where you think it's strong. You mentioned the phrase confidence, right? We talk about belief, confidence, and pride all the time. We think this is a measure of that. So you have the corporate team, the, the architects of the story, the architects of the product and brand. You have them assess the, the story. Then you have the frontline teams assess the story. We do a statistical comparison of how it's basically two answer sets. When I mean, we've gotten these answer sets back, we do a proprietary statistical analysis uh, comparing the two of them. And we come up with uh, really, a, it's for lack of a better phrase, a dilution score, an alignment score of how much of that message is making it through and how much is getting lost in translation. So that's where we can build that benchmark of this is where your organization is. This is what your people think. Whether you like it or not, this is what they think. <laughs> I want to be very clear. It's not what they know. We don't care what they know. We care what they think. Mm -hmm. Because what they think, what they believe is going to shape the way they act in front of customers. So they might know all the facts about the new, a new appliance that you're launching or the new widget that you're bringing to market. They might know all the facts. Knowing the facts and being able to turn facts into a cohesive story are two very different things. So we are really trying to get to the root of what do they believe that it is? What do they, you know, where do they have confidence in it? Truly, where are they rating different aspects of the offering high, of the value proposition high or low? And how does it compare to the competition? We're coming back with the snapshot of for better or for worse, this is what they think of it. Now you know your starting point. Everything after that becomes easier much more efficient, much more cost-effective if you know where you're starting from. When we look across all the brand transfer studies we have completed, comparing the perception of the brand at the corporate marketing level down through the frontline channels, we are finding that on average, brands are losing 20% of their message between those two groups. Well, I mean, I think that is, you know, that makes so much sense. And I think it's interesting to hear the emotion come through in your voice and as you were talking, I was thinking about the fact that, you know, if these people don't believe in what they're selling, whether they're on the front lines and actually selling or they're having to, you know, talk to their clients or talk to each other in the office or whatever the case might be. I mean, you know if that emotion coming through is authentic or not. So I think your point is so well taken around this idea that, you know, we have people memorize stuff. That's great. But if they actually don't internalize, feel it and believe that they're actually part of it and they can't say it in their own way in order to communicate authentically to the way they would speak, for example, then it's just dead in the water. And I think we've seen this so many times. I know being at agencies, we would I mean, part of me would die when this would happen. Like we create this great brand story and, you know, the the five people that worked on it within the client company were so excited about it. And then the rollout would just fall off. And yeah. it was like, you know, we would put together these great plans as the agency of like, this is the rollout and here's all the applications and here's all the launches we want to have and this and that. And then it would be like, well, that's great, but we've got the story and we don't have the budget for that kind of stuff. And then it's like, well, you shouldn't have even done it in the first place. I, I mean, we, we see that all the time. There's a, there's a couple of points I want to follow up on from, from what you mentioned. First of all, we couldn't agree more that people putting their own 
spin on things or their sort of own flavor on things is absolutely critical for, for it to come through authentically. Um, you know, we always jokingly say not everybody drives the exact same way, but the roads are shaped the same way and there's guardrails up, right? There's lines on the road and there's guardrails up and people drive within those guardrails. If you put those up for your people, but allow them to have some individuality in between, um, you're going to find that they get very comfortable and they know how to behave and it's shaped the right way, but they're delivering that authentic experience to, to customers. Um, I think that the, you know, when it comes to the rollouts falling flat, um, if it's important to, to really think about what the, what the risk factors are here. Most organizations are so siloed, and we have, we have data on this, that the, the marketing side of the house is so siloed from the frontline teams that the idea of we're going to bring something to market and when bringing it to market means through all the traditional media channels, the advertising, the marketing, the digital ads, all that kind of stuff. If the phone actually rings or the people actually show up to buy and the people who have to serve them are ill-equipped to, to mm-hmm. stand behind yes. that story or to, to defend it, the, the value erodes tremendously, I mean, very, very quickly. Um, you're talking about um, conversion is such a precious thing. We did work with a, with a major online jewelry brand and their brand, who they were advertising and, and how their people were acting were very different. And it wasn't as if they weren't being successful, but what was attracting people to them in the first place and what they were getting were different things. All we did, and I, I, I'm oversimplifying, but all we did was take a look and say, you're saying you're this, customers are clicking and they're showing up on your website and then they're calling to buy. Why don't you be that more? And now you're aligned between your digital ads and your in the phone experience and see what happens. We did that with them. Their conversion went up by 33%. Yep. 33%. Mm-hmm. You're talking about, crazy. In, in that instance, it was millions and millions and millions of dollars. Their their ad tra- their ad um, digital traffic was going down, but their revenue and their margins were still going through the roof because for every customer, every hundred customers that showed up, they were converting X number more than they were before. And that helped their bottom line tremendously. So the idea of what it costs you to not be thorough in this, um, it is a, a friend of mine uses the phrase blind spot. This is a blind spot that marketing and branding people need to pay a lot more attention to. Yeah, I think that's really, really well said, because I know, you know, I worked on the communications and PR side, but, and so my job was always uh, to try to generate more pool (laughs) where Mm -hmm. my counterparts are trying to generate more push. And that was a lot of times in conflict with each other um, as, you know, they want to have a very consistent push message across the board. But if I was trying to get like Rob Gronkowski, for example, to do the push message that they give to all the moms of (laughs) of people who buy Tide, it just doesn't come off right, right? But I, I, so I think that's really, you know, a, a very, very fair point. And I think that that needs to be really extrapolated across multiple different channels, including, and you mentioned this customer service. I think that's becoming a piece of marketing and, and actually exposure of your business that a lot of people are starting to basically kind of push off to this side. They're either outsourcing it 
you know, and especially outsourcing it to different countries. And they're kind of like trying to really drive efficiency there, which I get and I understand. But really, when somebody has a question, when somebody has a problem, when somebody has an issue, this is the point in time where people are it's, you know, going to decide whether or not they're going to choose you or not, probably for the rest of their lives. Yeah. You know, and if you're not there in order to be able to authentically and, um, and consistently be able to advocate for the brand story, in in a really real way, that is going to have dramatic impact on your business. So I'm not saying that you, you know, everybody should not outsource if that's what your business model says and it needs to do. But the training associated with that, the, the ability to be able to get people to really live the brand, it, it may be a little bit harder. And we're going to talk about this in an in the trenches question, but it is so essential to make sure all parts of your business are buttoned up. So you're not having a leaky bucket at some place that could be actually a really easy way to drive brand loyalty. Yeah. I mean, I think your point is so well taken. And, you know, I'll give an example that just happened in our house and very specific to customer service. So my husband's company has been loyal to Marriott for, I don't know, the whole time the company has been open. <laughs> and so yeah. and so they're all, I don't even know what the level is, titanium elite, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, they've had several instances lately and the company's starting to travel again and things are opening back up. And so they typically just call this one line and they're helped pretty immediately. There's not a lot of delay and everything moves smoothly. Well, several of them just in the past two weeks have had multiple instances where either they're on hold for over an hour, they're told that the person they finally get to can't help them, they're referred to someone else that then can't help them, the person on the other line is getting frustrated and kind of snapping back. And so they're strongly considering looking at other companies to serve those needs, even after all these years of loyalty, because they're like, what the heck are we being loyal for when from a customer service standpoint, we can't even make reservations well? Yeah. So. Yeah, so good story. I had a similar one on the heating and air conditioning, but yeah. we don't need a vent on that. Oh, I've got an airline one. We could we could, we could pile on here for sure. <laughs> that was going to be my other example was Delta. So you go ahead. <laughs> oh no, 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 no. We don't, we, we don't listen. The air, the airlines have taken enough punishment. I'm going to, I'm going to, we'll, we'll, we'll let them be today. How gracious just, of just you. Nice. <laughs> if, if it fits later, feel free to bring it up. Of course. <laughs> All right, so moving on. So our third strategy for transforming your employees into brand ambassadors is to incentivize your employees to use and share about your brand. And, you know, this is done a lot in retail. Like if you work for, you know, Abercrombie, you know, Ann Taylor, or any of those like retailers um, where they basically give you incentives in order to wear their clothes. But it doesn't happen a lot in corporate environments for some nope. reason. And I don't really get this because it could be something very simple, like offering free samples or maybe a free discounted trial period or free discounted products or services. But, you know, you guys got to realize if your employees are not using your products and services, that's a huge red flag. I mean, unless there is an obvious reason they are, but they shouldn't probably know then somebody who could use your products and services. But at the end of the day, if they can't rave about the brand, if they're not in the experience of your brand, then they're not going to be able to be really strong word of mouth advocates for it. So, for example, when I bought my car, I every dealership I went to, I said, I asked the salesperson, I'm like, well, what do you drive? And if they said something other than what they were actually selling, I'd be like, well, that's interesting. Why is that? And they all had a really hard time answering that. And I was like, <laughs> well, if you're not driving what you're selling, I'm like, I, 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 I kind of question why that's the case. Now, yes. some of them had decent answers, but like 
it put a little bit of doubt in my mind. So, you know, you, you got to really think about what, how do you do that? How do you really incentivize your employees to use your, your product and service? And then also, how do you incentivize their friends and their family to do this? So there's a lot of people do friends and family discounts or do friends and family events. These are really good opportunities in order to be able to stimulate word of mouth at certain times that are really, really important for your business. Uh, and it doesn't have to be anything really big or extravagant. I mean, I can tell you um, at P&G, now, I mean, because of the scale, this becomes expensive. But like they'd send Christmas boxes with products, an assortment of products. A lot of times it was whatever was new. Sometimes it was whatever was not going so well for the business. <laughs> and so they were trying to stimulate some usage there. They also did it um, at the King's Island, um, what they call the dividend days, which is two days uh, a year. They rent out the King's Island amusement park. Some people just come to get their product and even ride the rides. And other companies do this. Like I know um, you, you mentioned before April J and J and J and J has an actual employee store. I mean, mm-hmm. this is just great ways of driving and incentivizing trial or kind of just stimulating new lives and products. So if you have a product launch or if you have a new service launch, do something, you know, if it's a, thing, you know, offer for free in order to get your employees to, to use it, try it, to talk about it and share about it. You know, if it's, you know, a service, maybe offer them a little bit of a, a free incentive to do that as well. I mean, but, you know, it doesn't have to be overly big, doesn't have to be overly expensive or extravagant, but make it so that they want to use their product that they're actually talking about. Yeah. And the same way that you ask about cars when you go shopping, we do this at restaurants because we're foodies and my husband worked in a restaurant for years. And it's the same question of, well, what's your favorite? favorite thing on the menu and if the server says oh i haven't really eaten much here yeah or there's a lackluster response it's like oh cool so we should be really excited about eating here then awesome (laughs) sorry chris i interrupted you go ahead no 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 i think that the so my team and i have a lot of experience with this and i I think there's two points i would make one example i will give you is we um, we did a lot of work in the early days when um, the the cable cable internet companies oh, started to get in. Well, when they started to get into the home security business, mm. and it was the early days of that. And you have people that are on the phones used to, and they're used to talking about HBO and Game of Thrones and things like that. And you know, the next day they're they're expected to you know to be able to represent a, a security product you know that that has implica- implications for you know your your home monitoring and, and and police and fire being called to your homes and things like that and we you know we were the, and when i say the early days i mean the very early days just as they were putting all this together across all the companies that we had worked with was early on they really struggled to get some traction around adoption with the product they just kept training people over and over and over again. And this is a, an important insight for, for any product launch. Don't keep training people. Yeah. Stop and find out what yeah. the gap actually is. Don't just keep training people. But what they found was a, a huge breakthrough was when they started offering it to employees um, with, with their employee discount and people started to get the service, they started to use it, right? Mm-hmm. And two, two things can happen there. One, they... so they can at least have a feel for it and be able to talk about it intelligently and be able to share stories that are much more authentic. Like, Oh, the other day I set it up. So um, the camera would trigger when my dog goes into the living room and make sure it doesn't eat my couch and people are like, Oh, that's so cool. That's a really good use case. I have mm-hmm. pets too. Mm-hmm. Right. You can start to relate stories and they're authentic because they come from your own experience. The second piece is they're going to decide whether they decide whether they like it or not. So if you do put together some sort of a, of a program, whereby employees have access to your products or services, when you get it out to them, ask them what they think. 
because it's possible that if you have a music and they don't like it, you may have just created a bad impression. So mm-hmm. use that as an opportunity. We talk about frontline insights. That, that, that's yep. the term that we've really embraced is when, when marketers go to make plans and make strategic plans for their products and their brand, failing to solicit feedback from the frontline teams to the people who are in the trenches talking to customers every day is a huge miss. So if they're using the products and services and you've set that up, the mechanism for them to do that, ask them what their feedback is, just as you would a customer, do the research internally and find out what they think. Because if you find those gaps, guess what? Those gaps are going to be lost money. That's going to be where the conversation that they have is going to fall short of customer expectations and you're going to lose money. So don't just get the product in their hand, but ask them what they think of it. Yeah, that is a, a really, again, and these are really simple things that you know people can do and companies can do. They just don't take the time to do them, right? Um, and maybe don't they don't have the the mechanisms or the facilitation in order to do this. But you, you're exactly right. I mean, you, again, it's, it's go down to that word of, word of mouth advocacy from everybody uh, that, especially on the on the front lines, because I've had that happen as well. And it, it does bode well for the experience with the product when people can on your front lines can actually attest and, and provide personal stories for how they have actually used the product. Um, it's a huge differentiating factor. And then also, they're going to see firsthand, like, what are the issues? Um, where is it breaking down? Especially if they're the ones who are facilitating installation or facilitating problem solving and, and, and all those sorts of things. Get that data and understand where it's breaking down as well. I think that's, I think that that's so smart. Um, and I just don't think people do that enough. If I could just make a quick point on that, as you were talking, it made me think of, of NPS, you know, net promoter score. Yep. Mm-hmm. Brands are asked the very specific thing that they want to know is what is this person likely to say to another potential customer, yep. right? Mm-hmm. What will they say? Will they promote or detract our brand? And the the employee version of NPS that is that is you know built out through through Bain and Company and Fred Reicheld and the, the masters who have built the universe around NPS. ENPS is really all about how likely they are to recommend it as a place to work. There's a Uh, gap between what customers are going to say about the products and the brand and what the employees are going to say about the workplace. Well, what about what the employees are going to say about the products and brand? Because that is where the connection is made between company and customer so frequently. And the measurement of that is a true gap in our opinion. I think that's so, yeah, so true. So true. 100%. Yeah, and I think that is definitely something that people really need to consider. Again, it goes back to what we were saying at the very beginning about how a lack of a consistent brand story and one that people can actually like live into infects your internal structure as well. So I think that's really, really well said. All right, moving on to our fourth strategy for transforming your employees into brand ambassadors. That is refresh and renew the brand story no less than annually with some sort of employee appreciation day thing, something. You guys define what that looks like. And this really goes to the fact that a brand story is a living, breathing thing. Um, So you can't set it and forget it. I mean, though the essence of the brand story doesn't change and it shouldn't change, you you need to maintain that consistency. You do need to kind of breathe some new life into it every year, especially as you have turnover in your workforce. You have new people coming on, you have people leaving, um, you have your environment might be changing around you. So it may need to adjust or flex in order to accommodate all of those things. But also these new people need to understand and learn your brand story and be able to embrace it. 
in probably in some sort of training, and I, I say training in air quotes because this doesn't necessarily need to be some sort of formalized training or formalized exposure. It may be something that's actually very um, in, in uh, immersive, if you will, or like what you said, Chris, it, it may be something instead of training, it's like giving them a product, letting them live with it for a little bit. Yeah. So experiential, to, right? You want to create right. an experience for them. You can't train people to love your brand, right? It, it, it's very hard to do that. But you you can you can immerse people in it and give them the chance to experience it for themselves. Yeah, and I think that's going to be that's a really really smart way of being able to indoctrinate people and really get their feedback right from the get go, as well as kind of refresh it with their perspective and their their point of view, which may be a little bit different than how you're living it. So then you can actually like translate that into maybe some new communications. You can refresh your communications. Maybe it's a new video, or maybe it's a new decor, or maybe it is some sort of new like stylized training. Maybe it's like personal notes from the leadership to 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 people. Um, recognizing them for their um, ability to be able to really fully embrace the brand story, but also really shape it and, and help to define it, and and then to bring the you know the new life into it. But whatever you do, make it personal in a way that people could connect that this is why you're doing it and this is why this is happening, versus it being kind of an arbitrary, just like hey, good job, way to go, which I call like the donut the donut give, right? It's when people kind of just bring donuts and they drop them in the, uh, in, in the cafeteria and they say, thanks for all you've done. And you're just like, okie dokie. I'm gluten-free. I don't even eat donuts. What, what, what's that say about me? But, um, you know, it, it, I, I, but the point is it doesn't have to, again, be anything big or extravagant. It can be something small and intimate. Just make sure it's personal. Yeah, and I'll give the the anecdote here, you know, to the, all the points that have been made so far about make sh- making sure your employees are truly, truly engaged and able to walk the talk, I guess, if you if you want to put it that way. But so we framed our values when I was at my previous agency directly out of the brand story. And so very quickly after we did one of these refreshes, like Ian just said, I mean, we were at one of those pivotal moments. We moved to a new office. We had hired a bunch of people. The organization had changed, quite frankly. And so it was an impetus for one of those times to say, okay, there's a lot of great things about us, but we need to reinvent some things and then also find a way to get people really rallied around these values. And so we did a pretty extensive launch, which I'm still very proud of to this day. But then ongoing, we gave out monthly awards through the lens of the values. And there were six of them. We would just rotate through every month and one person would get nominated for living that value. And yes, to Anne's point, there was a monetary award, but it wasn't anything crazy. It was a couple hundred bucks or whatever. But the bigger deal was that they were recognized in front of the entire company. And then at the culmination every year, there was someone that was nominated at this sort of appreciation event for embracing all of the values and how how they did that. And so it really allowed one people to be celebrated that were embracing the values, but then two, it really became ingrained in the vernacular of the company because we were always talking in terms of each of those values. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Chris, how do you uh instruct your clients or advise your clients on how to execute this? Yeah, it, it, my gears are turning because there's a couple of examples of, of work we're doing currently that, um, that that falls, you know, straight into the sweet spot. The first I'll, I'll mention is, um, you know, the idea of involving your people in that process is so key, yes. right? Again, mm-hmm. you can't train this. The, the word training 
is is so it's used so frequently and nobody likes it. Nobody likes, <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. Like nobody hears the word trainer is like, Oh yes. Now we're getting to the good stuff. <laughs> but, but this concept, there's this concept of, well, if we want them to do something differently, we have to train them on it. You don't train customers to, to act and behave the, the way that you want. Right. Yep, really Marketing fair. is Marketing is behavior change on a mass scale and organizations do not take these. You don't educate your customers and your customers like, oh, that makes such logical sense. I'm going to do exactly what you want. Yet they expect that the same people that in theory buy their products are, are the ones that work for them. And they treat them very differently as employees as they, they do as customers. And that's really where I think that the mental shift has to happen. I'll give you an example of, of, of one way that we're, you know, we're working with a bank. And I think that there's no better industry to illustrate this conversation than banking, because it's not a tangible product. There is somewhat, you know, parity between products. They're very similar. It's hard to differentiate. It truly comes down to how they act and how they show up yeah. and, and really you know, what makes them different. And we're working with a bank right now where they told us during COVID, they said, we, we need to show up differently after the, the pandemic. We recognize that the, the, the way that we present ourselves in the branch and the way that we present ourselves in front of customers needs to change. Um, but we need our team members to be along for the ride. Like this can't be something that just gets pushed down from corporate. So what we did was we took sort of their vision of the customer experience that they've been getting out there for a number of years now. And we built an innovation competition inside the company. Mm, awesome. So just like your, just like your example with the, um, with the values and, and recognizing people for the values, now we're saying we need to change. We need to think differently about how we serve the customer. Well, corporate doesn't have a corner on all the good ideas. And in fact, a lot of times that's not where the best ideas come from. Um, so we want to involve the teams at the, at the field level, at the customer facing level to come up with the ideas on how can we serve our customers better? The greater involvement they have, the more ownership they have. And this is like change management 101. So the idea that you're like, how, how do you get people to, you know, get emotionally attached to things? Well, you make it their idea. And that's what marketers do every single day is mm -hmm. they, they, they personalize the message. They make people feel like it's directed straight at them, right? That personalized approach, get your people involved, ask what they think, ask for their ideas and involve them in the process. And that goes a long way. Um, I, I kind of on the flip side of, and not on the flip side, but in another example, we're working with a smaller brand, a smaller B2B brand, but they're launching a, just a great brand platform you know, over the last you know, six to 12 months. And we're in the process of working with their employees on this. And we're doing, we're doing some fun stuff. We're creating experiences. We're doing you know, uh, uh, ice cream trucks that are going to show up. Everybody's going to get a menu. And all the, 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 the pillars of their brand message are going to be the names for the different ice cream treats. Ooh, I so like they're going to, they're going to, they're going to have the opportunity, right? Especially when it's 95 degrees, Yeah. but they're going to have the opportunity to immerse them in it, show them that we, their whole, their whole brand platform is we solve problems in different ways. If you want to say you solve problems in different ways, find a different way to solve this problem. You mm -hmm. can't put people in a conference room drop down a screen and show them a PowerPoint and tell them how we're different. Every single thing about what I just described is not different. If you want them to think differently, you got to show them different. I, and I think what that does is it totally creates a memorable moment too. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like you're living through the brand story in, in a way that kind of, 
I'll use one of my favorite words, and actually it has a double entendre for this one, makes it sticky. Oh, god! April loves it when I use that word, but it's ice cream, too, so it yeah, kind of works Yeah, I, I got the, you got I got it? the okay. double entendre. But, like, I mean, but those are the, those are the kind of things that kind of, like, pick up their own, like, their own life, basically, and they kind of, like, find their way into the vernacular of the employees as they are living in it day to day. But you created, like, something that's, both like experiential, but also cognitively, like it helps to kind of connect and make and, and make it connect. So I think that is actually very smart. Now, me and April would opt more for a bar versus an ice cream <laughs> thing. <but laughs> make your own mixed drinks and stuff like that. Depends anyway. on the compliance associated, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. sure. <laughs> but no, that's that was that was a great example, a really great example. There's plenty of industries that are still doing that. By the way, we work with a lot of those industries that the the, the bar is still the reward. But I think what what becomes key though is you know and again that can't just be the give them the donuts moment and right. it's funny yeah. that he- hearing you say this um I-, I look forward to some of our conversations offline because i think uh, we'll, we'll, i think we'll be kindred spirits in a lot of ways we talk about these things and we're laughing about them but we're talking about them because they are still so pervasive yes. Yes. these are still the ways that so many companies small medium and large approach these things and the, so we don't have a situation where it's get your ice cream or get your donut moment. It's over. What we what we do then is the that's just one way to deliver. It's just a medium through which you're delivering that message. But then what we're doing is we're incenting employees to recognize the brand behaviors in their colleagues. So yes. when you see when you see one of your colleagues acting in a way that you believe is consistent with with our brand platform with our brand message. When they are they are walking the talk, um, you are going to nominate them. You benefit from that as just as much or more than they do. We want people to to recognize those behaviors. We want them looking out for it. And I'll never forget, I had a CMO of a, a major U.S. brand, consumer services brand, um, actually was somebody that worked for them. And they asked me, they said, "Well, what if they game the system? What if they go in and they just start, you know, putting a bunch of stuff into the system that they saw somebody doing this?" And I said. Let me let me make sure I understand your question. What if they put in the time to really think through what those brand behaviors are and they make up examples of their their colleagues doing that? Well, haven't we won? Haven't we won if they're putting that much thought into it? So let's not let's not mistake kind of what the incentive is from what the what the intent. So this idea of getting people to be intentional about what it means to represent that brand, um, there's a lot of ways to do it. But a great way is don't make it about them, make it about their colleagues. Yeah. That way you can take the ice cream day and it lives on beyond, you know, just getting that quote unquote sticky treat. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, the same way. I totally agree with you. Like with the values conversation, it was nominated by your peers. And that was a big way to build culture. And similar to what you said about the example you just gave of, you know, an inadvertent win, right? When we started having people tongue in cheek use those values like in a joking way, like, uh, can you help me with blah, blah, blah? Oh, yeah. Cause you know, I got your six. You know, it was like, oh, we totally won. Like even the cool kids at the organization are using this in their day-to-day language. And so you couldn't help but, you know, feel like we had done the right thing when even though it might not have been the outcome exactly as we were intention, you know, trying to think of it was almost better. Yeah, Yeah. no, it's a great point. And it holds everybody accountable too. Oh, for sure. So I think that's the other, you you know, everybody is, is in the same boat, right? All right. So just to summarize the four strategies for transforming your employees into brand ambassadors, the first is to formalize your brand story in terms of mission, vision, values, and personality. 
Second is identify where the breakdowns in the brand story are happening and address them. Third is incentivize your employees to use and share about your brand. And the fourth is refresh and renew the brand story no less than annually with an employee appreciation dive. Are you craving a deeper dive immersion into the topics on our podcast? Then you will appreciate our virtual consultancy. Located on the shop page of our website, forthright-people.com, you can now download our digital coaching modules on vigilant leadership, culture building, and social strategy. For the cost of a book, you will get diagnostic tools and exercises to assess your current state and development tools to quickly and intentionally improve your proficiency. These are quick yet effective ways to improve your marketing savvy today. Check it out and let us know other topics you would like us to go deep on. All right. So our next segment is the end of trenches. This is where we give real world examples specific to industries and situations, but have broad application. So anyone can really digest and put these into action. All right. So let's jump in. First question. Our people are spread out in multiple places. It is very difficult to translate our brand across this space. What do you suggest? And we actually alluded to this a little bit earlier, but let's put a little bit of a finer point on this because we hear people talk about this a lot and we get it's a really big frustration for for many. And we hear this a lot, even like a lot of people who franchise their businesses or have multiple offices in them too. So the first thing you really need to do is really get inspired by, again, the mission, vision, values, and your personality. That is going to be the way that you're going to be able to set the foundation and then be able to express to people why it matters and why it matters to them specifically to the point you were making before, Chris, about like this is not just in an arbitrary brand book, although it should be articulated somewhere consistently that people can reference, but maybe it's it's articulated across multiple different organizational functions. But you have to make it personal for people. They need to see why they are going to have an impact. What is their role and what is it going to mean for them so that they can live it and be part of it? You do need some sort of like verbal and visual toolkit. And this needs to be super solid because you have to have consistency of your brand assets across the board. That's the super tactical, less sexy one, but it, it definitely is really critical and it needs to be in there. And then you actually have to do an intentional job in making sure your brand is pulled through all of your processes, all of your protocols and operations. And if you need to nominate a brand ambassador or a leader at a location or some sort of region to help facilitate, do that. So it doesn't always have to be on you. But this is kind of going back to the conversation we we're having about customer service. Like you can't leave anybody out of this process because then you get this leaky bucket that is going to create a gap in the way that your brand story is translated. And it's definitely going to hit your bottom line somewhere. You may want to have some sort of, quote unquote, we'll say virtual training, because we haven't worked ourselves out of that word yet. So I'm sorry, Chris, we're going to have to think about a different word than training, but we'll just use virtual training here for a second. I can't get away from it. I, I we know, can't get away from it. we got to no keep synonym. using it. We, have, we no. know what it means. That's the problem. Yeah, we're going to think of exactly right. We're going to have to coin it and brand it and make our own, like, whatever that word means. Um April loves it when I make up words, um, especially mm. since, you know, in the P&G vernacular. But anyway, um, I digress. But um, you need some sort of something that is going to show your your employees what this means. And then it drives consistency across the board. So and it's something that it has to be able to be able to translate in all those different, um, whether it's countries, offices or um, functions. And then you're going to have to have frequent connects. And these might be more frequent if 
than if you were co-located. So you might have to do more of this, whether it's newsletters, video messages, town halls, fireside chats, you guys decide, but you need to have something so that your employees can feel connected and stay in touch with the brand story and in the, in the vibe that you're trying to convey. So I know, Chris, you're going to have a, a bunch of other bills on that. So I'll, I'll stop talking and let you uh, chime in. Well, I, one word that that come, immediately comes to mind is, is podcasts. We've had success ah, building, you know, a, you. A, a yeah, manufacturing company, <laughs> right? Manufacturing company that we work with, um, industry leader, largest in their you know their field in the world, and they have a, a very sizable, several hundred person um, outside sales force, and they were launching a, a, a completely revamped go to market strategy with their with their uh, retail channel. And they needed to get everybody in lockstep. I mean, it, it was such a big shift that they needed to have everybody really on the same page in terms of how they were messaging it. And, and salespeople can get get a little bit squeamish. They back off, right? Mm-hmm. They, they back off the party line. Like, yeah. Oh, well, this is what they're telling us, but we'll make sure that we carve out you know, an exception for you. Like no exceptions. This is the way we're doing it. And we, so we had to sell the story to them. Let's, let's tell it like it is. That's what we had to do. We had to sell them on the story. That's what we're doing most of the time. And we created a podcast series and we found out that the key to the podcast series was it was programmed based on feedback that they gave us. Mm -hmm. So we were gathering input on what do you want to hear more about? Who do you want to hear from? What parts of the story are gaps for you? And we, we met the message to, you know, to the person's habits. They said, we're we're sick of webinars. Don't chain us Mm -hmm. to our desk for 90 minutes. We're driving from appointment to appointment. So a 17 or 18 minute podcast episode is a great way for them to hear a tongue-in-cheek conversation with a leadership person, giving very candid feedback on this specific program or one aspect of it. And then after that episode, we gather feedback, we find out what they want to do next time around or what they want to learn about next time around. And we program a podcast episode. It's cheap. It's virtually free. And what we were able to do is connect with an audience, help them consume the information in a way that matches the way they consume in their spare time. And let's go back to that word training. Is it tra- is, is a, an internal podcast training I'll argue that it's not. I'll argue that it's content marketing. I'll argue that it's an internal marketing, whatever whatever you want to call it. It is a way to get content in front of people in a way that they want to consume it. I think that is incredibly smart. And I think so for a we few reasons. We might be reasons. a little biased, but... Well, I mean, <laughs> I love that you said that podcasts are yeah. so useful and helpful. And we've tried to build this one to be sneakily educational. So there and you entertaining. go. Yeah, and entertaining. But I, I think, you know, first and foremost... We've worked with so many organizations, especially ones that were, that are sales led, and the salespeople automatically bulk because they're like, any time out of the field is time that I'm not making money. Mm-hmm. And that feels very much like, you know, the mentality of don't distract me. I know the clients better than you do. I'm the one that's on the front lines. So to your point about like, okay, I'll give lip service, but then I'll have the side whisper conversation of we'll cover you a different way, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But then I also think, Thinking through a way to break through with them that is not preachy. And I think, you know, a lot of these, when I think about webinars, like you mentioned that, or, you know, it's coming from the top, the CEO did a video. And, you know, a lot of times those are just so boring and horrible. But this is actually something level, too. And so top level, where this is actually in the weeds of what they want to hear in a way that they consume content anyway, and in a way that's not disruptive. And I have to imagine that just changing the vehicle like that 
made like disarmed them really as a unit and then to go the additional mile of only producing content that was directly directly related to things that they wanted to know or wanted to hear and again in that more casual way in more in depth way too yeah I mean, it just feels yeah. like a huge win all the way around. Super. Just change, like you said, cha- changing the vehicle for it. I mean, we've done, you know, instead of newsletters or emails, we're for product launches or product relaunches. We've done graphic novel series where we introduce, ah! we, we're making superheroes out of the people that work in the plant, and we're telling the story of all the changes and, and, and improvements that they're making through the lens of, you know, the villain being the the, you know, the environmental factors that they're fighting against, and blah blah blah. And, you know, again, changing the vehicle, that stuff's not hard, right? Thinking of a way to change the vehicle really isn't hard. Um, So I challenge, if you want people to pay attention, um, marketing by nature is an empathetic uh, Mm -hmm. science, right? And we hear about empathetic marketing all the time. And and empathy is just simply taking the time to care and understand the person that, that you're trying to relate to. And organizations don't do that with their employees period, hard stop. They don't do it. They do it with their customers. And many brands, including brands like P&G, are great at that. But most organizations, and I haven't worked at P&G, but most organizations are not good at taking an empathetic approach to supporting and equipping their frontline teams, especially around brand. I think that's so true. I mean, and not to get off on a tangent, but I mean, I think we saw this in COVID, right, where everyone was like, how do we keep working? When really, if we just looked at it through the human lens, everybody's life got a whole lot better. But it was only when it was forced on you that actually moves were made where, you know, so Anne and I've had this conversation so many times about why do all of our clients feel like everybody has to be in the office all the yeah. time? You know, or all these companies, big companies we worked with over the years. And it's like now we've had this world shift. and It's like, oh, actually, that wasn't that important important. And if we just thought about it from a human lens, to your point, the same way we do with our customers versus an employee, you know, employer situation, which automatically feels colder, even when I use those words, we all would have been better off. Yeah. I think that's a great point. All right. Our second question. I feel like I have been pretty clear and intentional in communicating the brand story, but I'm still having to centers what is going on. And I'm actually going to let April take this one because she has Strong a feelings. <laughs> on this one. I won't get a word in. So go ahead, April. Well, and I mean, we've covered some of these things throughout our conversation. Um, so one of the things that we've we've talked about, and, and Chris, you know, you mentioned the idea of not including people in the process, and so therefore they automatically don't feel like part of it. Um, that was something we, you know, and something we still always encourage is the more people that you can get involved, the better. They don't need to be the decision makers, but they should feel like they're part of the process. And then if you ask for their input, continue to follow back up and keep them abreast of what's going on. So that would be the first thing. If you're in one of those situations where you you do have the opportunity or you're in the middle of recreating or creating for the first time, that is hugely important. Uh, but then on the other side, too, a lot of times if you have dissenters, we've seen people try to like quiet them or mm-hmm. be like, oh, here we go with this person, that kind of thing, instead of really listening and hearing what's not working for them. So we just talked a lot about the sales force, right? And I think 
another reason I love that example of the podcast is because naturally salespeople are in the field. So a lot of times I think they feel a natural affiliation more with the clients in some ways than they do Mm -hmm. home base because that's where they spend so much of their time. And so that disconnect makes them have that knee-jerk reaction anytime anything new comes of like, I'm not going to like it because I, you know, I'm not really part of it and I don't work there and and that kind of thing. Um, and so asking for that feedback, again, here is where including them in the process really helps. But if you have people that really are squeaky wheels, asking them why they feel that way can one, either be enough that they just want to be heard or two, you get some really valuable information of why it's not working. And we talked about making changes based on audience. I mean, Ann and I have a client right now where we just finished their mission and their brand story. And the next step is to help each different group within the organization create one that really resonates with them. So making sure that you have those different, not necessarily versions, you know, your brand story should be your brand story, but the different talk tracks, or this is how you answer questions now as a result of that, or go ahead and put it in your own words and let's hear it back and see if it really fits. So that's just another way of, okay, it might be locked and loaded. You might not be in a position where you can change it at this point, but you can still help people along, Help them feel heard and allow them to be part of the process in a different way. And then the last thing I'll say, because I know Chris is going to have lots to say on this question, um, be aware of cultural differences. Uh, mm-hmm. Just, you know, we're not going to get into the inclusivity conversation here, but it is real. You know, there's lots going on about that for a reason. So just make sure that whatever culture exists in your organization, you're using that as a lens when you're thinking about your brand story. Yep, I think that's right on. Chris, what what thoughts do you have on that one? Yeah, so so I'm going to start with with my new favorite phrase, which is frontline insights, right? The more you ask them, <laughs> right? The the more you ask them, the more you're going to learn and the better you're able to break down, you know, you're kind of, you know, break down those barriers. And I'm going to give you a specific example, you know, working with a, a manufacturing company. You now, they make they make um, uh, home improvement products, okay? And they launched a digital marketing, a suite of digital marketing services for the, the dealers and, and um, uh, so, you know, especially retailers that, that represent them. And this program was, was really struggling, really, really struggling. The sales team had not generated any leads that had been out there for about 18 months. And you talked about the idea of, and I believe that was April, correct? April was talking about the idea of the... Um, uh, uh, you know, the different versions of the story. Yes. Yes. Sometimes it's not, it's not even the version of the story. It's what part of the story you're telling. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and my, my point there is what we found was we gathered, we got, we did a brand transfer study. We gathered insights from the team that had to represent this. We pulled it back and we looked at some very puzzling data and we're like, what, like, what is going on here? And what we were able to come to the determination of there were certain parts, they were throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Mm. They were looking at it saying, I don't like this, so I'm not going to talk about it at all. Mm-hmm. And we were able to go back to them and say, whoa, 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 you don't even need to talk about that. Yeah. This is Your job is to introduce the conversation and get them over to the, per- the people who can have the expertise. And they're like, wait, I don't need to be an expert on that part of the digital marketing solution. No, 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 no. You have to gauge their interest and warm up the conversation. Oh, I can do that. So 
without gathering that feedback, what would they have done? We know what every organization would have done. They would have gone back and they would have done more training and they would have taken the whole story and tried to jam the whole story down everybody's throat again. And they would have the same problem digesting that story once again. And it would have continued to be this really inefficient cycle by asking them and gathering those frontline insights, having them evaluate the offering and give that input. We're able to give a very targeted plan of, oh, now, you know, it's like finding a blood clot, right? Once you can can clear the clot, the blood starts flowing and everything starts to work again. But if you can't pinpoint where that is, you don't want to do open heart surgery every single time, right? Mm -hmm. So this is an example of the more you ask, the more you learn. And the keys you have to ask in a systematic way, in a structured way, it can't just be, you know, we hear about survey fatigue all the time. If you have a structured approach, um, the, the folks up at Rogers Communications in Canada have a team called Voice of the Front Lines. And that's literally what they do. They are, they are working to be a conduit to gather input from their frontline teams, run it up to corporate, and make sure that every piece of content that goes back out has a frontline, they have a seal, like a stamp of like a, like a, um, a logo that goes on the materials to say, our frontline teams have vetted it. So they're the ones that are they're gathering the feedback in a systematic way. They're turning the insights around into real support materials that are going to actually help the front lines. That's the way to do it. Make a system out of it. I think that's really super smart. Are there is there a tactical like what's the tactical mechanism for being able to get that feedback? Have you seen something that actually works really well or consistently well across the board? Is, is there a way besides like surveys and, and, and those kind of general mechanisms? So, so there, there's a couple of ways. So where, where we're going with our brand transfer study process is instead of sending survey links out, we're working with our clients to embed them in employee portals. So the places that they log in to access materials, the places they log in for their compensation, for their spiffs, you know, those types of things where there's a, there's a section, there's an icon. And in some cases, they're incenting people to be giving feedback on an ongoing basis. So mm-hmm. the, the w- when when you have the, you know what, I'd like to give them a piece of my mind about this new thing that they launched. Well, great. Go into the portal, go to the feedback portal. It's right there. You go through a structured evaluation, um, but it's something that if you're going in just to check on something, you see that icon up there, you can just click on it and take it in your own time. It doesn't have to be something that you can opt in as opposed to having it forced on you. So finding ways to bake it into the employee's everyday rhythm and processes is is kind of a trend that we're seeing. Mm. Well, and I think that that's smart too, because if it becomes more of a cadence, then I feel like you have less of those instances where people let stuff really build up and then they unleash on something that maybe isn't the actual reason. Um, whereas if they're if they get used to, okay, every time we launch something new, for example, I'm going to be prompted to give my feedback after I use it or whatever that looks like, then you're able to proactively get reactions and also keep a temperature on where things are instead of having it blow up somewhere. It's it's a health check. It's an EKG, right? It's it's no no different than when you go for your checkup, your your doctor checks your heart. You don't only check it when it's a problem. You check it, you know, it's steady state as well. Yes. Yeah. That's super smart. And just to continue to go back to the power of just asking a question, which a lot of people don't want to do because they don't want to get the answer. answer. But um, wow, it's just super powerful. All right. And talking about questions, our third one. We struggle planning events for our employees. You can't please everyone, and there's always seems to be more negative than positive feedback. So we just give them gift cards and call it a day. <laughs> April, why don't you take this one, too? I also love this one because I hate plan fun and I hate gift cards. So there you go. 
<laughs> yeah, the force fun aspect of everything, right? Or, yeah, force fun. Sorry, not plan fun. Force fun. Um, so, I mean, here we could say perhaps that's a solution, but I guess I just feel like it's kind of a lazy one, especially if you're giving everyone the same thing. Like it just, it, that's my problem with gift cards in general is they just feel really impersonal. So mm-hmm. it's like, all right, I'm going to get a gift card. Well, back to all of our conversations about making sure things are meaningful. I'm just not sure that that comes across as very meaningful. So if that's the approach you're going to take, you got to think of some kind of customized personal aspect to go along with it. But I do think, you know, on the other side of that, that a lot of times companies put together these planned fun events. And I actually, one of my coaching clients, I just had this discussion where they already spend a whole lot of time together and her team or her tier, her level of uh, co-managers were being forced to do a weekend trip on the bourbon trail together um, to do some team bonding. And she's like, I can imagine how this is going to go. First of all, we're all worn out and burnt out. We like each other generally, but we've spent way too much time together. Now you're going to insert alcohol. And oh, by the way, I don't drink bourbon. So what kind of fun is this trip going to be for me? And so that's the this, the other side of things, which I really hate, is when somebody thinks they have this great idea, but they don't take into consideration the rest of the team and what other people want to be doing. So especially at some of the larger companies I've worked with or even agencies I've been a part of, we had some success, for example, with giving individual offices or individual teams budgets to plan their own thing. And we were always careful to say, make sure that you take hours out of the day, the mm-hmm. work day. You know, this isn't like, oh, I expect you to go spend four or five hours after work or on a weekend together. It was, you know, plan something for Friday afternoon, take the last five hours off and go do that together. And there you could get a lot closer to what the interests might be and please more people because there were just less people overall that you had to please. Uh, My other thing I will say here is there are always in big organizations, if you do have, you know, a day outing for everybody where people get left out, right? Mm -hmm. If you're you're servicing multiple clients, I mean, you can do your best. And, you know, we always sent messages out from the top of the entire organization is going to be out this day for such and such. But the reality of the situation is your clients' businesses don't stop because your company decides to take a day off. So if people get left out, you need to make sure you address that and that they get some kind of incentive as a result of being left behind, whether that's go and take that same amount of of, uh, time one day and do your own thing. Here's the money we spent on each individual person. You know, thank you for staying behind. Um, Or just lessening their workload if they're one of the people that are historically really overworked. Something to make sure that they feel like they were recognized for not being able to make it. Um, If you still do want to do an event on those large scales, take a survey. we did this pretty transparently, and actually sometimes it would result in two different events, for example. Mm-hmm. So we would send out a survey and say, of these things, what do you want to do? Or if you have another idea, type it in. And then sometimes it was pretty unanimous top one for most people, or sometimes there would be two or three. And so it would be like, okay, you know, we're going to do this one on Monday, this one on Tuesday, this one on Wednesday. And then that actually also helps with those coverage issues because you can have other people cover while an entire team is is able to be out. So. I think what happens with these types of things, whether it's gift cards or whether it's planned fun, is that in idea, they sound good, but then the executions get really lazy. And so then 
they don't really have the impact that you were initially intending or that good impact, I guess, that you were hoping would be a halo effect. Sometimes even they end up more negative than good. Yeah. So. Yeah. Chris, what's been your experience with these uh, these trying to plan events for uh, the employees? Oh, well, I'm going to be the biggest hypocrite you've ever heard right now, because um, <laughs> as as we speak, my team is gathering. And as soon as we, we are done with this episode, I will go join my team. We have a team outing this afternoon. There we go. Um, so so uh, it's the first time our team has been together since December of 2019. Mm. Um, so it's 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 a big it's a big day. Um, we are actually um, <laughs> we are doing a team outing. We are doing some 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 forced fun today. Um, but we we are a, a tight knit team. So hopefully everybody will get something out of it. But um, we we are going to a, a great a great. Uh, museum here in the Philadelphia area, but oh, um, the um, so my take on it is I'm I'm going to play host for a second. I'm going to ask you a question. Oh. Um, let's, let's see if let's see if we're on the same wavelength here. When you've gone to offsite meetings before, okay, larger company, small company doesn't matter, okay. Um, but when you go to an offsite meeting at the end of that week or the end of that couple of days, what do people always say is the best part of that week? What do they always say? Oh, the best part was blank. What was the best part of that week? Usually the unplanned time. Yeah, it's usually the hanging out. It's getting to see people, right? Yeah, it's yeah. the hanging. It's it's yeah. the connection with your coworkers. Yeah. It's the I haven't you and I never get a chance to talk, right? Yeah. It's it's the, yeah. the time. so yeah, it's yeah. the time together. Yeah. So when when I think of you know an opportunity here, um, sometimes giving them the opportunity to interact with each other and engage with each other. Um, it could be even even on business topics, but carving out that time for them to interact with each other and to share ideas and to and to kind of soak in some of the things that they're working on or really just to have it be sort of a, um, you know, kind of a, a, a safe, you know, a safe space for them to have conversations about it. Um, that can be really valuable. So giving them that chance to pick, you know, to, to pick each other's brains, to trade ideas with one another, that's where magic happens, right? And that, to me, that's where quote unquote engagement happens. Engagement isn't how good your, your team outings are or how good the snacks are in your break room, or really even how good your, your work from home policy is. It truly is the opportunity to do good work with people that, you, that inspire you and that you care about. And giving them those avenues to do that, even if it's work-related, yeah. I think you're going to get a lot of that same connection. So maybe taking fun topics and giving them the opportunity, it could be a work topic, but giving them a fun topic, maybe it does relate to your brand and giving them the chance to talk it through and think about what it means for their day-to-day, good stuff happens there when the employees get a chance to interact, especially if it's people that don't get to work together all the time. Well, and I think that's smart too, because you're giving them the natural connection point without overtly stating that. Right. So even if they have nothing else in common, they're obviously passionate about what they do on some level right. or stay at this company on some level. So you're sparking conversation without doing exactly what we said from the plan fun perspective of like, go now on the scavenger hunt and do oh, yeah. X, Y and Z. Right. You're having meaningful conversation, but you're also helping people connect and eliminate that awkwardness that sometimes happens. Or, or in my case, I'm forcing people to go to the Museum of the American Revolution. So that's uh, that's 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 the I'm taking I'm taking my interest in history and I'm imposing it on the rest of my team. But a uh, quick plug: if you ever get to Philadelphia, it is the most incredible museum I've ever been to. So um, my team, I, I believe, are genuinely excited to go. Most of them hadn't been before. Well, so. but you're the boss, so will they really tell you? That's probably a whole other episode. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> you don't know. Listen, you don't know my team. They'll tell me. Believe me. <laughs> 
<laughs> now that, so yeah, this is a little side. Now I have, I'm having a little bit of post-traumatic stress because I grew up with a mom who is a huge Civil War and Revolutionary War like buff. Like she's written books and she goes and speaks and she does reenactments and stuff. So you just like express exactly something I would not want to do. Because yeah. <laughs> I've been to all the battlefields. I've been to all of that stuff. But no, I That's why you weren't invited. We didn't invite you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Awesome. Well, let's jump to our third and final segment, which is a real world example of Brandy's doing this well or not well. And of course, since we have our, our awesome guests here, Chris, we, we're obviously doing it pretty well here, I think. So, Chris, we're going to let you uh, take this last one and and just share anything that, you know, you, you haven't had the chance to share. Share, you know, about interview if you like. Um, this is just your opportunity to kind of uh, to, to wrap this all up and put a bow on it. And then obviously tell people where they can find you. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I appreciate that. I, I don't usually have the t- chance to sort of put a a nice bow on these conversations, but you know, I did mention there's actually what I'm going to do. I'm going to plug a few people. Okay. So the folks at Rogers up in, up in Canada. And for those who don't know, Rogers is um, the, the largest cable and wireless provider in, in uh, North of the border, our neighbors up North. And they really take a, a tremendous commitment to understanding what their frontline teams need and really putting them in a position to, um, to serve their customers with excellence across their, their retail retail channel, customer service, you know, call center, really across their frontline organization. So when I look at brands that are really connecting all these dots well, that is one of them. Um, there are other brands that I look at and admire the way that they've been able to connect their, their, their brand. And as we said at the beginning, walk the talk, I look at like a Patagonia. Mm. Um, I know that that's, that's a brand that a lot of, a lot of branding experts are looking at, you know, using as a, holding them up as a, as a symbol, but um, those people are not messing around. Like they, they have an ethos and people go to work there because they believe in it. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it pervades every single aspect of their operation from the way they hire to, you know, how they staff their stores to the ads that they run that tell people not to buy their clothing. And of course it makes people want to buy them more. But when I, one that I've seen up close, um, you know, we're doing some collaborations with them and we, we, we've shared a lot of ideas with the folks at Rogers, not currently doing, you know, doing an engagement with them, but we, we do, we do, you know, trade notes a lot and we have a lot of shared thinking and we hold them up as a great example of a brand that's doing it well. You know, and that's one that we've been a little bit closer to, but um, in terms of what I see from Patagonia, there's there's a, a thought leader that I, I that I followed named Denise Yan wrote a book called Fusion that that gives a great high level strategic view of of how brand and and, and culture and, and brand and day to day operations should mix, and um, you know I think that she's a great example of when you look at the Patagonias of the world, uh, they need to be listening to people like Denise. Um, her thought leadership is excellent. And um, she and I have had the chance to connect and had some really good conversations. Uh, she's she's a, a budding fan of the brand transfer study process. But, um, you know, when you think about how to get examples of this, um, we're early in the game as, as it relates to people really understanding how to make sure that their brand uh, seeps into all different aspects of, of their company. But um, there are some really good examples and some really smart people out there talking about it. So we're happy to be part of that dialogue. Um, in terms of how to find us, um, the, the best way, so our website is interviewgroup.com and it's I-N-N-E-R-V-I-E-W group.com, like looking inner, like an interview of your, your organization. Mm-hmm. So interviewgroup.com is our website. Um, you can also check out information about the, the brand transfer score, brand transfer study and brand transfer score process at brandtransferscore.com. 
And me personally, you can find me on LinkedIn, Chris Wallace. I'm in Philadelphia. So there are a lot of Chris Wallace's, believe me, <laughs> if you go digging, okay. If you go digging, if you don't like what you find, it's not me. I'm the guy in Philadelphia. Okay. I'm the guy in Philadelphia. I'm not the general manager of the Memphis Grizzlies. I'm not the notorious B.I.G. who also shares the same name as me, but uh, Chris Chris Wallace in Philadelphia. So that's the best way to find me. I love it. That's awesome. Oh, thank you for that. Thank you. for That's a really that was a really good um, way to, to put a bow on this. Um, so let me just summarize the four strategies for transforming your employees into brand ambassadors. Formalize your brand story in terms of mission, vision, values, and personality. Identify where the breakdowns in the brand story are happening and address them. Incentivize your employees to use and share about your brand. Refresh and renew the brand story no less than annually with an employee appreciation day. And thank you so much, Chris, for being on this. Your expertise has been made this like episode really, really rich. So we thank you for that. And we're going to tell all of our listeners now to go exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. Mention you heard about us here, and we will give you a free 30-minute consultation. You can also share any topics you want us to cover, which helps us give real-world support to our listeners in real time. And if you learned something impactful, please share with a friend, and don't forget to leave a rating and review on your favorite platform. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.